Good morning, family. It was exciting to be together at uh, our CMU retreat um, last weekend. That was absolutely awesome. You guys saw a video um, that was really well put together. It had all the, the fun that was in there, but really the content of it, it was fun to be with everybody. It was fun to see some old friends, um, but what was really cool is that there was some godly words shared um, that was meant to equip us, that was meant to help us grow um, and if you guys didn't get to go to that, or if you did get to go and didn't get to hear all the lessons, they are posted online. We're gonna, um, we've got a link to them that's going to be up in the Connect page. We'll have a lot of easy ways to access that, um, and they are awesome, and they're great for listening to when you're driving around, when you're at home, um, but there was such awesome stuff shared that, um, that I got a lot from, and I think a lot of people got from, and I think you'd benefit a lot from it. So check that out, um, and, and it's, it's worth your time for sure. Um, but if you're here, we, we believe that you are here because God brought you here to draw you close to him. That we know that God has promised that he will put us in times and in places and with people for the specific, specific reason of him wanting a relationship with us. And that he puts people in our life at times when we need them so that they'll, they'll bring us into those places. And we believe this is a place where God can get close to you and not only bless you, but use you and your life to bless others. That's what he wants, that it's not just about you. It's not just, it doesn't just stop at helping you. It helps, he helps you to the point where, um, where you're a blessing to everyone around you. Um, so we're, we're in our new series that's called Family Under Construction. And, and really, families are always under construction. I grew up in Tampa, um, which is a busy city in Florida, and it is always under construction. We have a, an interchange that's called Malfunction Junction. Like, it's what everyone does. Like, that should be on the road signs. Like, it's a mess. It's always under construction. And the reason it's always con under construction is because it's been growing steadily for like 40 years. And what you find is that families that aren't, the only families that aren't under construction are the ones that aren't growing or have given up. Right, and, and that's you never want to be in a place that's not trying anymore, right? You never want to be in a city where they're like, that pothole, my grandfather hit that pothole and I'm going to hit it too. You know, like that's not, you don't want your roads to be like that. You don't want your families to be like that, right? Where we just say, um, man, that's just, what's the point? And so it, we always want to be a family that's under construction, um, that's about growing and getting, to be, getting better. And that's true in our church and it's true in our families. And, and when with church and families, really, when one does well, the other does well, and one's doing poorly, the other does poorly. The, the church isn't a building, the church is people, and the people, a lot of times, are tied in with families and family dynamics there, and it's really important that we protect that and that we care for it and that we, we build on that as well. In fact, when Satan wants to take God's people down, families are typically the place where he starts, right? The first fall of, of, of humanity was between a couple, a married couple, right? Like that's how we tried to, and then the next big catastrophe was them and their kids and all the fallout from, from their strife with each other and, and their misunderstandings. And so Satan has steadily been attacking God's people through families. And so we want to make sure that when we're constructing our church family and our families at home, that we're doing that in the way that God wants us to, and not just winging it, not just going out there and doing what we feel, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So this week is about becoming a winning couple. And there's three ways you can, there's a few ways, constructive ways you can look at that. But I'll tell you, a lot of times when, when you hear this is a, a sermon on marriage, there's typically two responses. It's either, oh gosh, we're married, we got to talk about this after, like, why is he doing this to us? Or, I'm not married, time to tune out and think about lunch, right? I'm going to give you three different ways to look at it, right? You can either look at it as, 
I am not currently married, but hope to be someday, and this will be really helpful use, right? The last week we talked about the importance of laying the foundation and planning the foundation before you build the house. It is much easier to lay some of this foundation now and bring some of those tools into a marriage with you than it is to bring it and try to institute it later. But that is possible. So the second way is you could be in a marriage and you could say, okay, we're probably not perfect, right? There's probably a lot of evidence that supports us not being perfect and we could use some help. Um, we are always under construction, right? If you're trying, then you're under construction. If you if you're want to grow, if you want to develop, then you're putting in the work. And that's what we want to do. We always want to be improving. We always want to be building up. If you just leave a house, right? If you just say, this house is perfect. I'm not going to touch it for 50 years and it's going to stay perfect. It will not stay perfect, right? You've seen the houses somebody just left, right? And there's all overgrown and stuff's falling apart. and The pipes have burst. It's a mess, right? In the same way, you can't look at your marriage and be like, we nailed it. Let's just not do anything for a while. Let's see how it goes, right? It doesn't work that way. You've got to keep putting in the work. And then finally, you could say, I'm not married. I don't feel like getting married. This has nothing to do with me. And I will tell you that everything I'm going to talk about today is true of any relationship that you want to last, right? If you want to have a relationship that lasts more than two weeks, you're going to need some of the tools that are in here, right? In any kind of friendship, in any kind of church relationship, all of this is applicable because it's not particular to married couples. All of this is to any kind of humans that want to stay around through hard times, right? So we want to construct something that lasts no matter what. So becoming a winning couple, you can't build something, first of all, that you are constantly tearing down. Does that make sense? You cannot build what you are also tearing down. And it is amazing how many times we can praise God for bringing us the perfect person one day, you know, at the wedding day, and then like, you know, a few months later, a few years later, we're like, man, I, I wish I could put them on the moon and leave them there, right? I don't, I don't love you to the moon and back. I just love you to the moon and you just stay there, right? Like it's... <laughs> It's crazy how it can take that turn, right? It can go from being our dream person to being the one that, that is the worst. Um, and, it, and honestly, this happens most of the time because we are not good at conflict, right? It, it's, uh, Abraham Lincoln was famous for saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I want to challenge that and say, God said it way before Abraham Lincoln did. Okay, Mark 3.25, it says, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Right, and that is true in a couple, it's true in a family, and it's true in our church family. A house divided against itself, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. When a home, and when a home falls apart, when a family falls apart, there's always collateral damage, right? A lot of us come from families where that where fell apart and dealt with that collateral damage or, or have dealt with that in some way or another. So it's so important to us that we build our families with skill and with wisdom, like we talked about last week, right? Doing it wisely, doing it deliberately, and most of all, following God's, God's plan. So the main way we're going to do that is by talking about how we deal with conflict. And there's five approaches to resolve conflict. So we're going to talk about five approaches, not all healthy, but they're, they are, as uh, Jonathan Stormer would say, because that's one way to live your life. Um, and so um, these are ways to approach conflict and, and their end result. So number one, we can say, no way right? And that's, I avoid and we lose, right? My way, how do I approach conflict? No way. I don't do it, right? I either pretend like there's no problem at all, or I get so frustrated that I say, I'm just not going to deal with it. This is my number one favorite way to deal with conflict. And it goes so bad, right? It does not go well, but I try it over and over because maybe this time will work better. There was a, a guy that um, was at a, he was running a marriage retreat that we went to, and it was really cool because he runs a, um, I don't want to call it a camp, but it's a, 
it's a getaway for couples that are in crisis, right? And, and so he hosts these hundreds of couples that they've hosted, and, and almost all of them that go there, at least one of the people has decided they want to file for divorce or has already filed for divorce. And they have this insane success rate with these couples that are on the verge of collapse. And the reason they have the, the ones, he says, when they come in, I, I almost always know whether it's going to work or not. And he said the number one deciding factor in whether a relationship is going to work, even if it's in crisis, he said, as long as you're still fighting, we can make it work. He said, if you're still fighting, we can go there. But if you quit, then there's really not much we can do. Right, this this no way, this avoidance, this this decision that I'm just not going to engage anymore. He said that's the one that that's the hardest to get through. But if you're even if you're just awful to each other, but you're still fighting, you're still in the, you're still trying in some way, even if it's in a bad way. He said a lot of times we can redirect that and get there. So no way means I avoid and we both lose. The second way we deal with conflict is my way. Right, I win and you lose. Right? This is my second favorite way to deal with conflict. Right? It's not, again, does not work super well. Right? You, you can win a lot of points and lose a lot of friends. Right? Have you ever done that where you're like, I nailed it. Right? Like I was so right on that one. And then you're like, they don't want to talk to you anymore because you were a jerk about it. Right? It's not good. I win, you lose is not the way. And then there's the other way. Your way, um, fine, have it your way. Right? I lose, you win. Have you done this, this one in an argument? Right, you know you're probably right, but you're like, fine, it's fine, whatever you want, right? Have it your way. That's not, nobody's like, oh man, that went really well. I'm glad it went that way, <laughs> right? Like, that's a bad feeling. And whether it's my way or your way, it builds resentment. When that happens over and over and over again, and you always get your way, or I always get my way, then one side or the other, or both, start building up resentment, and it gets toxic, and it gets difficult to deal with. And then there's the halfway right? The fourth way is the halfway. I win. Sometimes I win and you lose. Sometimes you win and I lose, right? We just kind of, it's compromise, but it's bad compromise. There's always a loser. We just take turns being the loser, right? And that's not good. That's not, someone's always miserable some of the time, right? And, and it can turn into um, no one's happy all, no one's happy most of the time. And again, there's no way to go about it. And the final way to resolve conflict is his way. And when you put capital H there, his way, which is we win, right? And I say capital H because it's God's way of going about conflict. Now, what is important about to know about God's way of doing conflict is that it is different than all the ones above, right? All the first four are how we figure out conflict. It's how if I am left to myself, if I act out of what I feel and what I feel like doing, that's how I'm going to do it. And God's way is different from that, which means it's going to require me to do some things that are uncomfortable. It's going to require me to do some things that maybe my parents didn't show me how to do. It's going to require me to do some things that feel rough or, or make me um, vulnerable or do things that, are, that I don't like. But the alternative is vicious. In Galatians 5, 15 and 16, it says, why all this vicious gnawing on each other? Now, remember, this is written to a church, right? This <laughs> isn't written. And if you are surprised by that, then you haven't been a ch around a church long enough because churches are made of people and sometimes we gnaw on each other and it's not great, right? So this is why all this vicious gnawing on each other. If you're not careful you will find you've eaten each other alive. Here's my instruction. Walk in the Spirit and let the Spirit bring order to your life. Right? Family is tough. Amen? Family is hard. You're around each other a lot. You can't get rid of each other. You've got all this catalog of stuff they've done wrong to you and you've done wrong to them. It is really hard. And when you are not fed, right, when you don't have a spiritual foundation and you're not fed by God and built up by God, then you're going to end up devouring each other. You're going to end up taking some bites. 
right, that are harmful, that are hurtful. And he says, you know what? There's an alternative to that. Instead of all this fighting and backbiting, what if you walked by the Spirit? What if you let the Spirit decide how you went into an argument, how you dealt with a conflict? See, people who walk in the Spirit have surrendered their way of thinking to the Spirit's way of thinking. They've said, I have tried it my way. I've tried all one through four. I've tried them over and over again, and none of them worked. Maybe there's something different. Maybe it would be better if I stopped doing that and started doing what God called me to do. Right? You have two major choices. You can bolt when it's bad. When conflict comes, you can bolt or you can build on it. Right? Those are the only two options. You can run away or you can build it up. And your marriage is going to go through hard times. Any relationship you have is going to go through hard times, but especially marriages are going to go through hard times. And you can't just stay where you are. You're either going to build on it, or you're going to end up in trouble. Right? You can't stay put. You've got to continue to put in the work. You've got to keep going. It is a battle. A marriage is a battle. And that's not, you know, you want it to be. It's not how it looks in movies, right? It's not how it looks. It's not how you want it to be when you're, you know, you're planning the wedding and you're going through... I'll tell you, we get to do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, or we've gotten to do a lot of pre-marriage counseling in the back, um, and, and it's amazing. You start talking to people, and they're like, yeah, I know you guys, you can see it in their face. Like, I know you guys went through that, but that's not us. Like, we don't argue like that. We don't, we don't do that. I'm like, you wait. <laughs> it's coming. It's a battle, right? But here's what's cool. Amen. You can win the battle, and that's what's cool. And not only that, it's not you beating them in a battle. I want to make that very clear. You collectively can win the battle. You can come through it together and have something that's victorious that, that lays a different foundation. There are so few of us, there are so few of us who came up in homes that taught us what a godly marriage looked like. I mean, if, if I had to raise my hand, there'd be very few, right, that, that grew up in homes that taught us what a godly marriage looked like. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But what's really cool and what's really powerful is that you can be the one to break that cycle. You can be the one to show your kids something different that maybe no one else for generations has seen because it's super rare in this world. And not only that, you can show your kids, but you can also show your friends and your kids' friends and you can bring them around and you can build something that is absolutely powerful. And that's amazing to do. And you can do that in your marriages and your families and in our church together as well. And so this is how you and your spouse can win the battle, but it's how all of us can win the battle. See, what's, what's uncomfortable but true is that God expects conflict and in fact wants conflict even in the church because again the only way to not have conflict is to run away from each other or pretend like everything's okay right we are flawed people and so it's there right unless you just ignore it or run from it and even then you've got your issues he doesn't want it to stay around forever he doesn't want us to fight forever but what he does want is for us to learn how to fight well and the way you fight now is the way that you're going to fight going into your marriage, right? And without help, 50% of marriages are failing right now, right? At least 50% of marriages are failing. And those are the ones that get divorced. When you do surveys of like, how many of you are glad that you chose the person you chose to spend the rest of your life with? If they're anonymous, right? There are a lot of people that aren't divorcing that still aren't having a lot of wins, you know, that still aren't winning the battle. And so, you know, just not divorcing is not the threshold, right? That's not the goal. We don't want to just be like, we put up with each other for 50 years, you know, we win. No, you want something that's powerful. You want something good. And that's what God is, is planning to build in us. So we're going to talk about how to win the battle. And we're going to break that down letter by letter. And the B in, in battle is become a disciple. This is the first step in winning the battle is becoming a disciple. 
See, we call ourselves Christians. That's how we label ourselves most of the time. But Jesus used a different word. Jesus never used the word Christian. 120 times in the New Testament, he used the word disciple. And a disciple is one who trains to act and talk and be like the one that they're learning from. Right? It wasn't just like in our, in our classes now, if you go to class, like I didn't, I didn't want to be like my professors, right? The better I got to know a lot of my professors, the less I wanted to be like them, right? Like you, I, wanted to, I wanted to learn the information they had sometimes, right? But I, but I never wanted to like, I didn't go to their home, right? I didn't see how they put their house together. I just like, I went to class, I checked out. But a disciple, a disciple is different. And that's, it's different how they did it in Jesus' time. If you were a disciple of someone, if you were a disciple of a carpenter, and you would go and you would go into the shop, every, the workshop with them every day, and you would do the things they did, your chairs would look like their chairs and your practices, the way that you did things. And even as you're around them, you started to treat people the way they treated people and you learned from them and you tried to emulate them. And that's what Jesus called us to be. When Jesus wanted to teach someone, he didn't say, now sit down and listen. He said, follow me. Right? That's what he said to each of his disciples. He walked up and he said, follow me. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do with him. Not just to listen to the words coming out of his mouth, but to walk with him and, and act like he acted. In Ephesians 2.16, it says, As parts of the same body, our anger against each other has disappeared. For both of us have been reconciled to God. And so the feud ended at, the last, ended at last at the cross. See, what he's talking about there, there was, there was hostility between Jews and Gentiles, Jews and, and non-Jews for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. But what broke through that, what broke through a hostility that had lasted for generation after generation was both of them coming together and, and sacrificing for Jesus. Jesus going to the cross gave the ability to overcome a conflict that no one else could go through. And that's why when when Joe Beam is talking about, man, if we're still fighting, if you are in the fight and we can point you to Jesus, even if you're in a marriage that's on the verge of collapse, you can, go, you can be directed to someone who can overcome that. Not by looking at the cross, but by embracing the concepts of it, by saying, if Jesus died to himself like that and I died to myself like that, then I'm going to have some good results. And there's going to be a win that comes at the end of that. You know, we tend to follow the example of our parents. Right? Even if we look at our parents and say, I don't want to be that, left to ourselves, we tend to do it anyway. Right? It's just a natural thing. You can't, you can't hide from it. It's, just, it's baked into you. And, and it's, unless something else comes along, we're going to follow that. If, you, if your parents divorced, your chances of divorce go up astronomically. Right? And the only way that's not going to happen is if something comes in to break the cycle. And Jesus is the ultimate cycle breaker. Right? We follow our parents. We follow the culture. Right? We look at the way the world around us looks at. We follow our friends. Right? There's, a, there's a phrase that's been around for a long time, the inmates taking over the asylum. Right? And, and sometimes we look at people whose, whose marriages we would never want to replicate, and those are the people we go to for advice. Right? And, and they're like, you don't need that guy. <laughs> right? like, you tell, you still, like, tell me all the, the trash about him, and let's trash him for a while, and, and then leave him. And, and it's amazing when you look at the fruit of their lives, you're like, man, I'd never want to have that marriage. I never want to interact the way they interact. And they, those are the people we go to for advice. But Jesus shows us a different way. And we're going to talk about that more later. We follow culture. We follow our friends. We follow our feelings, right? Which is a horrible idea, right? The, the Bible says the heart is deceptive of, above all things, right? And this trash that the world shares with you about follow your heart, that is so dumb. Like if you're, if you're treating if the, you think about the stuff you put into your heart, you think about the stuff you watch and the stuff you intake, right? That is not trustworthy. And you can feel, if I felt, 
You know, if we, we would have, you would have a rocky relationship with anybody if it was entirely dependent on how you felt that, way, that day, right? One person can do one wrong thing to me during the day, and my whole attitude is trash, right? I just, I am angry at the world that whole day, right? If that's what determines all my relationships, I'm not going to be a lot of fun. And so we, we can't follow our feelings. We can't follow the culture. That's not a great example. We can't follow our friends. Half of them are getting divorced. The only way we're going to win is if we follow Christ. That we're not just saved, but we're set apart in trying to become like him. He's the only one we can follow and win the battle. The B for battle is become a disciple. The A for battle is adjust my attitude. I need to adjust my attitude. And there are three attitudes that we see God talk about in a negative way, both in Scripture um, as, as a part of the church and, and also in marriages, he talks about this. And the first attitude I need to adjust is I need to adjust my selfish attitude. Selfishness is at the heart of every conflict, right? On the part of one or the other or both, usually both, right? Selfishness is why we argue. Selfishness is why we fight. In James 3.16, it says, whenever people are selfish, they cause trouble and do all sorts of cruel things. Right? You may say that you'll never do something again, but unless you deal with your selfishness, you definitely will. Right? Because what motivated you to do that thing, when you say something to someone and you're like, man, I, I can't believe I said that. Right? I would give anything that if you could just like pull the words back and put them in your mouth and be like, can I get a redo? Right? Can I get an undo on that? You would just pretend like that never happened. But that came from somewhere. You said it for a reason. It came out of a feeling that you had, a feeling of selfishness, a feeling of being wronged, a feeling of feeling like you deserve better, a feeling of I need to harm you so that I can feel better. You said it for a reason. And unless you deal with the root of that and adjust that attitude, you're going to say it again, no matter how bad you felt about it in the first place. Right? Your guilt is not enough to change that. There's got to be some change in the heart. In James 4.1, it says, where do all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. Right? We tend to fight for what we want. But when we fight for what we want, it can set, it can set your spouse up as your enemy. Right? When you are fighting for what you want and your spouse wants something else, now you're at odds with each other. Now they're the enemy you have to overcome. And that's never, it brings out our pride. Right, and, and that's the next attitude we need to adjust. I need to adjust my prideful attitude. Years back, there was an accident in the Black Sea. It was a horrible accident. Two ships were coming at each other, and they weren't moving crazy fast, but they're on the radio with each other, and both captains acknowledged that the other ship was there and that they were on a collision course. But they literally spent so much time arguing about who was in the right lane and who should move that they ran into each other, and a bunch of people died. Right, because their pride was so important to them, they would not get out of the way, right, because they both insisted they were right. And sometimes that's where we can be. We can be arguing with someone, and we both are so certain that we're in the right place that we would rather shipwreck our relationship than admit that one of us is wrong or take the hit even if we were right. Right, our pride gets in the way. In Proverbs 13:10, Proverbs talks a lot about pride or arrogance. It says, Arrogance causes nothing but trouble. Trouble. Proverbs 29, 23, arrogance will bring your downfall, but if you are humble, you will be respected, right? Surveys show, you know, and when they do like marital surveys, they show most of the time wives, what wives want more than anything else is to feel loved. That's what they want. They want, they want to know that they are loved. And men, most of the time, what they want more than anything else 
is to feel respected. That's, that's the number one craving in men and women, typically in relationship. And that's not surprising because that's what Ephesians talks about. In Ephesians, it says, husbands, love your wives, right? And wives, honor your husbands. But what's difficult is it is really hard, it is really hard to respect someone who isn't acting respect, respectably, right? When you're not acting in a way, when husbands don't love their wives, it's hard to show them respect, right? And when wives aren't respecting their husbands, it's hard to make them feel loved. It's, it has to work both ways. It takes a partnership, but it, it takes us adjusting our prideful attitude to get there because we don't do either of those things when it's about us, when it's about what we want. Our role as husbands is to lead, but leading isn't about us, right? So often in this world, why do you want to get a, a, a higher position at work? Well, I want the pay and I want the influence, right? That's, that's why you want to strive for a position at work. That's what leadership means in the world, is, is financial or, or material benefit and power over other people, right? But that's not what leadership looked like for Jesus. What did Jesus' leadership look like? Jesus had all the authority on heaven and on earth, right? He had all of the authority. How did that benefit both sides, right? Jesus got the cross. We got eternal freedom and love and salvation, Right? That's what leadership looked like for Jesus. It wasn't about material benefit. It wasn't about him getting the upper hand and having the power. That When Jesus led, everyone else benefited, and he took the hit. Men, that's what leadership looks like. When, it says, when the Bible says men lead your families, it doesn't mean you tell your wife this is how it's going to go. What it means is when hard times come, I bust through that door first, and I take the hit, right? and I show her it's safe. Right? It means that when hard decisions have to be made, I take the hit. Right? I'm willing to be the bad guy. I'm willing to do the hard thing. Right? And, and there's so many ways that can turn out. And there's big ways that can turn out. Right? And there's, there's dramatic ways that can happen. And there's little ways that you can show them that. I, the, my favorite story about it um, for us is I am, Crystal does my least favorite thing in the world. She returns her food. And you guys, if you've been around long enough, you know this. Right? If something is not right, if she orders something and it doesn't come out right, she sends it back. And for some of you, you're like, well, obviously, but for some of you who are wired like me, you're like, that's horrifying, right? Like, it's the worst thing. It's conflict. It's the worst, right? Thank you. They're going to spit in it. Like, it's probably going to come out wrong again. Just let it be. Like, just eat it. It's fine. And she would get so upset at me because I would just eat whatever they brought me, even if it was wrong, even if I didn't like it. Because I'm like, that's, I would rather do that than, than have this awkward conversation. But what I had to learn after much counsel, I didn't figure this out on my own, right? I had, I had some help. I had some godly men that came alongside and said, what if you did this? So I had a godly man come up to me and said, what if the next time it happens, you jump ahead of her and you return the food, right? What if you gently and respectfully ask them to remake it, right? And, and you do that for them. And, and Crystal saw that and man, I won some points. Like it was awesome. It was so good. <laughs> Because she's like, I know you hated that. That's what she said to me. She's like, I know you hated that. And I'm like, I did hate it. But, it was, <laughs> but I took the hit, right? And that's, that's leadership is, is I do the hard thing and then she benefits from it. And it, it wasn't me exerting my authority over her. I didn't say, sit down, honey, I got this, right? No, like I, I just jumped in. I did the hard thing, right? And, and that's, what, that's the relationship that he's calling us to have. And and she built me up, and she and other times she's come in and she's built me up. And you know, words of affirmation were not like natural for her. She grew up with a single dad um, who's a marine and a mechanic and gruff and like you know, just matter of fact. And he'll he'll tell you if something's wrong, but he doesn't always remember to tell you if something's right. And I love him. He's grown a lot, but the 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 dad she grew up with was a dad with a lot of battle scars and a lot of hurts, right? And she didn't learn a lot of that stuff that he's learned now from him initially. And so. 
Um, but she got godly advice, and now she builds me up, and, and she tells me all the time, thank you for working hard for our family. That is a phrase I hear almost every day, and now my kids say it, right, because she's teaching them to say it, and I feel 10 feet tall, right? Even if I didn't do much at work that day, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I got it. Right? I'm like, that's awesome, right? It's, it pays off when you're in the battle, when you're at the fight, when, you're, when you let go of your pride and you see the other person. Right In Proverbs 25.9, it says, He shows those who aren't proud how to do what is right, and He teaches them His ways. If you're prideful, even God can't straighten out your marriage, right? Because you're not going to listen. It's, even God can't help that, but it's only beyond repair when we ignore God and we choose our own way. And finally, we need to learn how to adjust my angry attitude. Some of my earliest memories as a little boy are me being filled with so much anger that I didn't know what to do with it. Right, and, and I had holes in my bedroom wall, and I had, I had all this stuff that I did because I, I got in trouble at daycare. I got all this stuff because I was filled with so much anger, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I, and I processed that in really unhealthy ways, um, and I didn't have a lot of help with it. And, and we need to adjust that, or you bring that into a relationship, and it's not great. James 1, 19 through 20 says, My dear friends, you should be quick to listen and slow to speak or to get angry. If you are angry, you cannot do any of the good things God wants done. And I would love to wipe that out from the Bible and not be there. It is so hard. It, is, it was written for me because I naturally have a short fuse and I, and I have to fight every day to shut my mouth and care more about what other people have going on than what I feel. Right? That is a daily battle for me. But it is the only way to have a healthy relationship. And Crystal was the one who, who was the most shaken up by it because she got to see it. And I remember I'd get mad in the car and I'd like hit the steering wheel and she'd get so freaked out, right? And I never, I never raised a hand at her in my life, but it is scary if a woman wants to feel loved and safe and protected. The fact that I cannot control my anger in any direction is scary and uncomfortable and not a great foundation for your relationship. Right, in the same way for women, a lot of times, you know, your anger can come out in a lot of ways. It can come out as, as yelling. It can come out as, as, as falling apart. Right, and 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 that's scary for a guy. Right, because it's like, man, it's so unstable. Like I, I don't know what I, what I'm going to say is how it's going to land or how it's going to react. And Crystal was the one really who who was the biggest help for me because I saw someone who I could not. I was like, I saw she felt. I'm like, I cannot let that stand. Like, that cannot be our dynamic. That can't be how I make her feel. And that's why relationship is so important. And when you, like our people running youth ministry, I get to hear, you know, with them, and they do something in front of one of the teens, and they're like, man, like, I, I can't ever do that again, right? Because I, I care about them, and I care about their reaction. And, and when we're in relationships with each other, and that's why I say it's not just about marriage. Man, when, we're, when we stay in relationship with each other as a church, it, it, you make some changes that you wouldn't make if it was just by yourself. And they're good changes to make. Right, in Proverbs 15, 18, it says, Losing your temper causes a lot of trouble, but staying calm settles arguments. Right, when you're angry, you're not thinking about anything else. You just you see red, you're just like, I'm going to hurt something or somebody. Right, but the, the selfishness and the pride and the anger, they're all related, and we've got to deal with all of them to build something that lasts. The, T, the first T in battle is I need to tackle my problems first. I need to tackle my problems first. There was a famous runner, his name was Jim Fix, F-I-X-X, and he wrote these books about running, and he went on all these talk shows, and he told everybody about how to eat healthy, how to, he run, ran like 80 miles a, a day. It was crazy. It ran all the time. And, and he told all these people about all the stuff they were supposed to do. I don't know if that's right. That might be maybe 80 miles a week. That sounds insane when I say it. He ran a lot of miles, is the point. And he told everyone else how to get healthy, 
And then he dropped dead running down a road at 52. And his wife said it was because he wouldn't see a doctor. Right? He knew he had issues and he wouldn't go get help himself. He told everyone else how to get help, but he wouldn't go to the doctor. And he's dropped dead on the side of the road, even though he had all the written books. And they were good advice. He gave great advice. He just didn't follow it. Right? And, and that's how we are sometimes. In Matthew 7, 4 is a famous passage. It says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? How dare you say to your brother, please let me take that speck out of your eye when you have a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know right away when you have something in your eye, right? Like, that's never like, I wonder if I have something in my eye. No, it's like, oh gosh, <laughs> I gotta flush this, and it's, it's the worst, it's the worst feeling, and you're blinking, and you're like trying to do anything you can, right? And so you go, you might need to go see help with someone if it doesn't resolve itself, like, if that didn't resolve itself in, like, 27 seconds, I'm going to get professional help, right? Like, it's a, it's a big deal. Like, I'm going to be blind forever. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But if you go to that professional, and they're looking in your eye, and every time they turn, this huge log in their eye bangs you in the head, right? Like, I'm like, you're maybe not the professional I need, right? Like, you clearly don't have enough urgency when it comes to eye issues, and that's how it feels sometimes when we go, and we want to fix something, and we want to tell our spouse, let me tell you how to do this right? We got to be careful that we're coming at that and we don't have a log sticking out of our eye. When you've treated your, your spouse disrespectfully for a week and then you go to correct them about something, that hits a little different, right? That doesn't feel great. It doesn't work. And so we need to deal with our own stuff first. We need to be in relationships that challenge us, that tell us to challenge our own stuff. When we tell the story of an argument, when you go and you tell your friends the story of an argument, we naturally paint ourselves as the hero and the other person as the villain, right? I don't usually go to my friends and say, let me tell you how I screwed up, man. Like, I had this thing dead wrong. We got in this argument, right, and I was so wrong about it. It's not usually how those stories go. Now, some of us have grown a little bit, or we have friends who we know better, <laughs> and so we're like, I'm just going to own it from the start, because I know they're going to tell me. But it's, it's time to embrace humility and acknowledge our part. And it doesn't mean that everything that happens is your fault, but I bet there's something you probably could have handled differently, right? I bet there's some things that you could apologize for that you could, you could roll out with and start with, you know, instead of coming at them and, and acting like everything's their problem. We need to tackle our problems first before blaming our, our spouse or anyone else for everything and, 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 turn to, and then turn to help them, right? And, and it's okay to correct, it's okay to encourage, but you better be coming at it from a place where you are, maybe you haven't dealt with all your stuff, but they know you're trying, right? They know you're putting in the work. It's not a one-sided deal. I was listening to an interview with uh, Derek Jeter, a famous baseball player from a while back. He said, I'm, I'm the most loyal guy you'll ever hear, but loyalty one, loyalty one way is insane, right? right? If, you're, if you're crazy loyal to, and he's talking about in a sports relationship, right? If you're crazy loyal to a team and they're just ready to cut you at a moment's notice, it doesn't feel great. Now, sometimes it has to start with one-way loyalty for us, right? There's a lot of relationships where we kind of have to initiate, but man, it's got to be reciprocated at some point if we're going to win the battle. All right, the next T in battle. I need to talk to God about my family. I need to talk to God about my family. Now, I need to talk to, about, I need to, talk to my family about God, but more importantly, I need to talk to God about my family. If my family is the most important thing in my life, then shouldn't my prayers reflect that? Right? If that's the most important thing to me, and there are a lot of things we say are the most important thing that we don't treat like the most important thing, Right? I need to go to God with this. James 1.5 says, If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. Right? There are so many times in my life where I'm saying, 
Lord, where is your guidance? Where, where are you? Right? And I never stopped to ask him. I didn't ask him. I didn't ask anyone else who knows him. Right? I'm just like, God, where is the guidance? And it's all around me. He spent thousands of years crafting and protecting a book that is full of advice for me. And I will leave it on the shelf and say, Lord, where are you? <laughs> right? Like We need to make sure that we're talking to God about my family. There is no place that will humble you more than a marriage. Right? There is no relationship that will humble you more where you will quickly realize how little you understand. Right, And I, you look at the other person, you're like, I don't understand anything about you or what you're saying right now or what you want. Like, you're just like, I, gotta, I need help. Right? Andrew Peterson, he's a famous uh, author, songwriter. He, said, um, he, called, he compared marriage to dancing in a minefield. Right? <laughs> That's like a, a crazy description of it, but it's so true. And I can't even put on a sock without falling over. Right? How am I supposed to dance in a minefield? Right? Like, that's a dangerous situation. This is not ideal. We don't know where the minds are buried until we step on them half the time. We don't know how to disarm them. We don't know how to bandage each other up when we hit one. Right? Like, we are not equipped to dance in these minefields of relationship. And the only way we're going to get through it is if we have a God who can go before us and say, but I do. Right? I made you guys. I know how all this works. There's no surprises for me. In Psalm 101, 2, it says, Lord, I want to live, I want to live a blameless life, but how I need your help, Lord. That is what a humble thing to say. Like, I want, to, I want to say that all the time. Lord, I want to live a blameless life, but how I need your help, Lord, especially in my own home where I long to act as I should. Right? We don't know what we're doing, so we better surrender to the one who does. And the sooner we figure that out, the happier we're going to be. And we may look at a healthy, someone else's healthy marriage and long for it, and, and we may believe that's never possible for us. That's just not me. Right? I've, I've dealt with too much stuff. i got too much baggage. But I will tell you, with God, it is always possible. But you cannot leave the with God out of that. You can't just say it's always possible. It's possible with God, and we cannot ever forget that. So what we're going to do now in, in, in terms of remembering Jesus and remembering to always put him first, we're going to take communion together. We've got bread that's been broken in the back, and, and juice has been poured out. And, and, and what we're remembering is the time that Jesus got together with his disciples, and he said, I want you to remember this all the time. I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember what leadership looked like for me, that I took the hit so that you guys could be free. And then I want you guys to go out and take the hit so that others can be free. And that's what we're going to remember this morning. Father God, thank you so much for, for showing us what godly leadership looked like, for showing us what it looks like to, to love a spouse, to love a, a family, to love our church family, to love our friends. Um, and Father, may we lead like you lead. Father, may we, may we never take for granted or, or strive to, to get glory for ourselves, but to surrender to you and trust that you've got this thing figured out. Help us to be humble. Help us to be servants. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's wrap up. The L in battle is look for godly counsel. Right? A lot of times, when we're talking about God sending guidance to us, a lot of times the way that God sends His guidance is through godly counsel. It's through people that He put in our life that He's trained up and then we get to learn from too. And they can warn us and say, man, we hit all these potholes in our marriage. Maybe you could dodge some of them and not experience some of that. In Proverbs 24, 3-4, it says, Through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. And by knowledge, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. If we build a marriage or really anything else on something that on only what we know, we are in trouble. If you took any pursuit and you said this activity has a 50% failure rate and we said 
great, I'll wing it. <laughs> like that's not, anyone would look at you and say, that's insane. Like that makes no sense, right? But that's what we do in marriage sometimes. We're like, no, I got this, right? I don't want to talk about my problems. I don't want people to think I have problems. We're just going to figure it out and hope that it works. But the failure rate does not support that, right? The evidence says that's not the move, right? We may need some outside consultation here. In Proverbs thirteen ten, it says, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Right? Consulting God's word requires humility and discipline. Consulting God's people requires humility and relationship. And that is why, if you want to be a member of this church, you have to be in a small group. Right? Because we feel like if we are a body, if we are a family, then we need to be responsible for each other. And it would be irresponsible to say, it's great, welcome to the family, good luck out there on your own. Right? That's just not a good way to do things. Now, Jesus operated, and that's really the deal breaker for us. Right? If Jesus didn't do it, then that's not how we're going to do it. If Jesus did it, you better believe we're going to do everything we can to do that. Amen? That's, that's how you do it. In Romans fifteen fourteen, it says, You yourselves are rich in goodness, amply filled with all knowledge, and competent to counsel one another. Right? You are competent. Our God's counseling mechanism for us is the church. That's, what was, that's where we were meant to go for counsel. That's where we were meant to go for healing and restoration and processing through our junk, right? That's, that's what it was meant for. People in our lives who are filled with godly wisdom, who know and care about us, right? Who are with us every day, who know about our stuff, who know about our background, right? And I got to encourage you guys, seek it out. Don't make them come to you, right? And your relationships, don't, don't wait until there's a crisis and they have to confront it. Go and seek out the wisdom. Go and seek out the counsel. Go and seek out the advice. We need that in our lives, in our marriages, but in our lives in general. And then finally, the E in battle is we need to embrace Jesus as Lord. We need to embrace Jesus as Lord. Conflict resolution and great relationships begin and end with Jesus as our Lord. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Make sure that in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord. And that's in a passage about how we treat each other. The context of that is, is talking about unity in the church and how we treat each other. We need to renew our vows with each other every day. And, and the vow that we need to, to honor before anything else, before till death do us part, before in sickness and in health, the number one vow that we need to renew every day is that Jesus is Lord in our lives. And that we will put Jesus before ourselves, before our spouses, before our kids, before anything. That is the vow. You want to renew your vows? Renew that vow. Right, Because the first couple fell apart, the first couple in human history fell apart because they acknowledged God as creator, but not as Lord. Right, They acknowledged that he made all the things, they were thankful he made all the things, but they didn't think he was Lord. They didn't obey and follow his lead. And if you're going to resolve conflict in a way where both win the battle, you need to bow down to the one who can guide us. Right, We need to follow God as Lord. God wants to bless you, and he wants to use your life to bless others. And that may feel like a long way off, but it is available to everyone. And so whether you are building for something in the future, whether you're trying to rebuild something that you're currently in, no matter what you're dealing with right now, God is there, and he is the only way out. He's the only way through it. He's the only way that you're going to change this, the trajectory of what your family's done before you and build something new and build something powerful. And he's done it over and over and over again. This track record is awesome, right? And if you want to trust somebody, let's trust God. So we're going to pass around our offering buckets. It's going to be an opportunity for our, our members to go and put um, some money toward the work of the church. For our guests, what we would love, you've got these communication cards um, in your bulletin. If you would fill out um, your, your name in here and then just 
if you'll tell us, what do you need prayers for? Like, I don't know how to build a family. I'm in a marriage I don't know how to deal with. Um, you know, we're, we're doing okay, but there's stuff we haven't talked about. Whatever it is that, I don't need you spilling the beans on your marriage in a communication card. But if you need some encouragement and some godly counsel, or even just a friend to come alongside you, we would love to be that, because that's what Jesus and others were for us. And this life was not meant to be done alone. Amen? Let us connect with you today. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father God, we were not meant to do this alone, and you have not left us alone. And the only way we are alone is when we run away from you. And so I pray that as we look at your counsel when it's hard, when we look at your counsel when it's different than what we were raised with or different than what we feel like doing, that we would humble ourselves and go before your throne and acknowledge that you are the one who's got it right. You are the one who knows us inside and out, who made us, who knit us together in our mother's womb and and cares deeply for us. And so I pray that we would bow to that, that we would treat each other the way that Jesus treated us and continues to treat us. Father, may we walk in step with your spirit. Father, in times where I'm angry, in times where I'm prideful, in times where I am selfish, help me to put that down, to shut my mouth and look to what you would do and, and respond with love and with compassion instead of with how I feel like responding. May we be diligent and wise in the way that we build our families and the way that we build our church. In Jesus' name, amen.